Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. Well, great to be back here with you again. I know we had uh, about a week or so that we weren't able to meet just due to all the snow and things like that. But we are going to be in uh, the book of Philippians chapter number three. I did want to wish Jimmy a happy birthday. Today's his birthday, so uh, make sure you let Jimmy know about uh, wishing him a happy birthday. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we began looking at uh, this section here that Paul was talking about, um, about these Judaizers that were coming into the church and basically teaching a false gospel, saying that you had to be circumcised in order for you to gain good graces with God, and uh, he warned about them, calling them dogs, evil workers, and uh, those that mutilate the flesh. And, you know, I I can't overstate of how important it is for us, the church, to make sure that we get the gospel right. Um, Ever since the beginning, there has been a battle for the gospel, and it still continues to wage on uh, as a war today. And... uh, You know, we may not have people going around promoting circumcision, but uh, we do have our share of false teachings and those that try to pervert the message of the gospel today. I remind you about what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verses uh, 28 and 29, as he was leaving uh, the church there at Ephesus, and he called the Ephesian elders together, and he told them, he says this, pay careful attention to yourselves And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And you know, as our world continues to descend into chaos, Jesus reminded us in Matthew 24 that many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. So God's word really stresses the importance of having a change of heart, having the correct gospel, knowing the correct gospel, knowing that you have believed in Jesus Christ. And it really stresses that. And uh, that's what we saw Paul stressing a couple weeks ago, talking about making sure that you've had that circumcision of the heart. And the verses we're going to look at today really come on the heels of that and uh, this idea of, of people who were promoting the outward, the external, uh, all these religious things. Paul says, I've gained all of that, and yet I've counted it as nothing so that I may in turn win Christ. And uh, I believe there's a larger picture here at work other than that necessarily of salvation uh, within the context of that, and we'll, we'll see that as we go through. But this is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Losing it all in order that I may gain Christ. Losing it all in order that I may gain Christ. So let's take a look here at a text here. 
to build this idea of, of losing all and gaining all, you're going to see this, this uh, basically like a table that Paul is kind of drawing from, and he's saying, these are the things that I've gained, but I've counted them as loss. And then we're going to see another table, and he's going to say, but this is what I have gained in order that I, uh, because I have lost it all. And so first thing I want you to notice here is what confidence do I have in the flesh? What confidence do I have in the flesh? Uh, let's look, look here at our verses here. Paul says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, he says, I have more. Why? Here it is. Here's his, here's his religious resume, if you will. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, he says, I am blameless. And so Paul says here, basically, look, all these people have put confidence in their flesh by having their flesh circumcised, by promoting this false gospel. He says, if anybody has confidence in the flesh, he says, it should be me. He says, I have way more confidence in the flesh. And so after arguing this idea of placing this confidence in the flesh, Paul pulls out this plot twist and he says, look, I have way more confidence than anybody uh, could ever see that with that. So look at these credentials that, that follow here. Uh, first of all, in verses five and six, it says that he was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, it's important to note that, that Paul here did not refute the Judaizers' emphasis on circumcision because Paul himself was circumcised. So he's saying circumcision wasn't bad. He says, I was circumcised. Paul was circumcised when he was eight days old, just as the Jewish law commanded him to do that. And so if circumcision was the means of justification, Paul is saying, look, I've already been circumcised. I've had that. I have that on my, my religious resume. This is the confidence that I can say that I have. Look at this other thing that he says here. He says, of the people of Israel. It's clear throughout the Old Testament that the Jewish people were very special. In fact, they were God's chosen people. God chose them. He chose to set his heart and affection upon them. And he says, I am of the people of Israel. And so they were special, not because of anything that they had to offer God. I mean, how was Abraham called? He was a pagan. Was he offering anything wonderful to God when God called him? No. But God chose to set his heart and affection towards him. And he called him. And so the Jewish people, they didn't have anything special to offer to God, but God chose them and he loved them. And so the Israelites were the people of God. They were set apart and made holy for divine purposes. Paul, therefore, was not an unclean Gentile, but a member of this holy nation. Then look what he says here. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin. Aside from the simply belonging to the Israelite people, Paul knew exactly from which tribe he actually came from. 
He says, look, if anybody wants to show that I can trace my lineage all the way back, it could be me. And he says, I can go all the way back and I can prove that I am from the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was certainly one of the, mo one of the more prestigious tribes of the nation of Israel. He says, if anybody wants to have confidence, if anybody wants to be able to boast and say, hey, I'm justified in the sight of God because I have all of this religious stuff, he says, it's going to be me. Then he says this. He says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul had put in the work of learning the fullness of his Jewish heritage. He knew and mastered the Greek language, which allowed him to describe the letters that we have here presently, which he wrote a third of the New Testament that we have. But he was also a very devout student of Hebrew which even in their day was a less than popular language. This man knew exactly what he was talking about. He says, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He says, I got this stuff nailed down. He says, I know what the law says. I know what these things uh, say about uh, what the law uh, demands. He says, I know it all. Then he says this, as to the law of Pharisee. The Pharisees were the most educated men in Israel during that time. Their theology was solid. Their commitment to keeping God's word was unparalleled. In fact, these guys went so far to make sure that they were not going to offend God in any way that they would actually make up more rules so that they didn't break the rule that they were not supposed to break. To be a Pharisee, you had to make the cut. Paul had not only made the cut to be a Pharisee, but he was a disciple of Gamal, one of the greatest Pharisees ever to live. He studied at his feet. He knew the law. He knew what the law uh, said. Then look at this last one. He says here, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Zeal or passionate fervor. Remember what Paul was doing before he became a believer in Christ? He's persecuting the church. He thought he was actually doing God a favor by finding these Christians and weeding them out and finding them and putting them to death. He thought God was, he was doing God a favor of all of this. And look at this. It says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I see this as Paul challenging his readers here to find fault in him. He says, if you want to examine my life, go ahead, put it under the microscope. Look at everything that I do. You're not going to find one thing wrong. He says, I am blameless. Now, he's not certainly not claiming to be without sin, but rather according to all the works and ideals of Judaism, Paul says, I stand at the top. He says, you can't find anything wrong with what I do. He did everything required of him and more. Only a handful of people throughout history could match Paul's religious dedication and practice. Now, when we count up all of these things, we got seven things here that Paul has on this religious resume of his. And these are the things that Paul says, if I'm going to have confidence in, in justification, he says, this is what I'm going to put confidence in. He says, I, I far exceed anybody else in all of this. Interesting enough, we too try to use these forms as kinds of works that we often attempt to place our confidence as well. Circumcision could relate to our confidence in rituals, baptism, Lord's Supper, church attendance. 
We can say, boy, look at this. I, I can be justified before God because I have these rituals that I do. Then he says here about being an Israelite and Benjamite correlate to our security and ethnicity and rank. Before Christ, all of us, all of us, before Christ, all of us stand guilty before God. There's not one race that is above another. All of us stand before God as guilty sinners. And Christ came to die for all of us. He says here, a Hebrew of Hebrews and Pharisee can be seen as a tradition and rule keeping. Can't tell you how many times I talk to people and it's just this idea that they, they think that by keeping the law or keeping good uh, morals or good standards, that that's going to place them in the good standing in favor with God. Nothing could be further from the truth. Finally, a persecutor or blameless are linked to zeal and obedience to the law. Now, of course, none of these things are bad things. But the problem is, is when we try to place confidence in our flesh to gain favor and merit with God, it does not work. It doesn't work one bit. You see, as we know it, it is only through Christ that any of us can be justified through God because of the death of Christ. And his death was a death that satisfied the wrath of God. You see, my sin, your sin was placed on Christ and he was judged for us. He died and he was resurrected so that we might have life in him. It's not in the confidence of us. It's in the confidence of Christ that we are to be placing our faith in. Notice the second thing here. And this is really the heart of this sermon here. Finding Christ as the gain. So see, as Paul listed all these things that he says I could have confidence in, notice how we're going to flip this. Notice how it's going to change, okay? Paul moves this thought along, and we get to see this, this bigger picture unfolding before us. And this picture is the surpassing worth of Christ as the gain. Now, don't let these words get, get by you here as we're going to look at them. And, and mark these phrases here as we go through them. Three times you're going to see within these, these verses here, Paul stressing this idea of losing all and gaining Christ. Here they are. Look, at, look you can mark them with me. Verse 7. Here's the gain and loss. Whatever gain I had, not have but had, notice these, these are the past, what, whatever gain I had in the past, okay, he says these were counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, I count everything, as present tense, I count everything, everything I'm counting, and perhaps even future as well, as loss. These are counted as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Look at verse number eight. I have suffered the loss of all things past. These are all counted as rubbish, he says. Why? So that I may gain Christ. Now this is very personal to Paul because notice the words here. I, my, personal. Whatever gain I had, whatever things I have done, he says I've counted them as loss so that I may win Christ. I may gain Christ. And notice how he counts it all as loss in comparison to what? To Christ. 
This man who was just earlier that we looked at stated to have some place to boast about these religious actions, these religious deeds. He says, if anybody has confidence, he says, I have way more than anybody else. Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm at the top of the list. Blameless. And he says here that everything on that list that he has, he says, is to be nothing when placed in the light of Christ. And this should be our goal as believers in Christ, to gain Christ, giving up all to gain Christ. Does this pursuit or challenge sound familiar to you? It should. We're reminded of the words of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 16, verses 25 and 26. Listen to our Lord. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Or for what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, Jesus was talking about a trade here. He's saying there's gain and there's loss. And he says if you're willing to lose it all, you will actually gain. But if you hold on to it and you try to cling after it, he says you're going to lose it. And so if you desire to save your life, it will cost you your soul. In other words, if you hold on to the things that are to you are so precious and reject the things that to God are precious, it will cost you your eternal soul. That's the trade. And Jesus said, what good is it if you have gained everything the world has to offer and lose your eternal soul? You see, Paul had found the understanding of what Jesus taught that he found, found in Christ as his gain. He says, everything that I've gained in life is nothing compared to having Christ. Now, this is true not of only of salvation, but also our sanctification, our growth in Christ. Because there has to be a trade-off daily. The things that we pursue in life daily, what are they compared to Christ? Are they eternal? Do they have worth? Do they have value? Of course they have value. Of course they have worth. Because that's the reason why we pursue after them. But what are they compared to in light of Christ? Paul says, I count them as rubbish. And just a reminder, this letter is a letter of joy, and our joy is not found in circumstances, but rather it's found, we find our joy in spite of our circumstances. Why? Because our joy is not found in if things go well or if things are going the way that I think that they should go. Our joy should be found in Christ. And so the joy that Paul pours out here in these verses, you can see it because he's saying, I have Christ compared to everything else that I've lost. He says, I have Christ. And that's enough because it far surpasses anything that this world could ever offer me. And so Paul says here, look, this is what we need to have. We need to have our gain in Christ. If you can remember back with me in uh, chapter uh, 2, Philippians chapter 2, I want you to see why, why Paul could really see Christ as the gain in all of this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Paul says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God, the Father. So Paul says one day, every knee is gonna bow, every tongue is gonna confess that Jesus Christ is supreme that Jesus Christ is the one and only that reigns supreme. He has the supremacy of it all. And Paul says, I see that. I see Christ as supreme. That's the reason why I can count all of this as loss, so that I may gain Christ. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, do we see Jesus as supreme? Or is Jesus just the thing that we do on Sundays? Is Jesus just something that we have amongst everything else that we have? Is Jesus Christ supreme in our lives? Paul says, I recognize him as that because I count everything that I've gained as loss so that I may win Christ. You see, the supremacy of Christ should far outshine anything that this world could ever offer us or anything in this world that we could ever gain in life. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. The greatest thing that we could ever gain from God is not things. The greatest thing that we ever gain from God is God himself. Having Jesus, having Christ, knowing him and loving him. And Paul says, I count all of that, everything in life as loss so that I may have Christ. Is Jesus that important to us? Is Jesus that far more surpassing in his glory and his supremacy than anything that this world could ever offer us? Paul says, I count it all as loss so that I may win him. Let's really dig into this because look at this, verse seven. Here's really the key, this gain and the loss. Look at this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And so here's really two things that we see that Paul gains from knowing Christ, from having Christ. Look at verse number eight. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So first of all, he found Christ as the gain in knowing him. Right in the middle of this verse, he says, the surpassing value of knowing Christ. That's the point here. Knowing Christ far surpasses those other things. What things, Paul? Well, everything that was a gain to him. Everything that he had confidence in, everything that he put all of his lock, stock, and barrel in. He says, all of those, I count them as rubbish so that I may know Christ. What does he mean to know him? Is he meaning to know him intellectually, to know things about him? No. 
The word know or knowing means to know experientially or to know personally or to know by personal involvement with. That's what he's saying. That's Christianity 101, right? Remember Jesus telling us about knowing him in John chapter 10, the good shepherd. He says this, I know my sheep and they what? They know about me. They know things that I've done. No, he says, and they know me. Do you know Christ? We should. That's what he's talking about, knowing him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true, even Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so that's salvation 101, to know Christ. But this goes far deeper than that. Because it's not just saying, I know Christ. Because the word carries on it more in the sense of having a personal intimacy with God. Christ, knowing him in a deeper way. There's a deep connection of love there. Not that we first loved God, but what? That he first loved us. And see, the more that we come to know who God is through the scriptures, the more that we see the the far surpassing worth of who Christ is in the scriptures, we will come to know him, not just experientially, not just knowing him personally, but our love for Christ will grow deeper and stronger in knowing him. And Paul says, everything that I've gained in life is nothing compared than to knowing Christ. Jesus, the great shepherd, says this, my sheep hear my voice and I, what? Know them. There's an intimacy there. There's a knowing there. There's an expression there of deep union of love. And so Paul is really trying to stress this point here of knowing Christ, of what Christ means to him. He's is saying it is a knowledge of love, it is a union of love that is intimate. And it's way beyond what this world could ever offer us. Look what Paul says, and I love how he adds this because he says of knowing Christ Jesus what? My Lord. Or it's personal. It's personal. My Lord, it's personal. He says, this intimacy runs deep. He's my Lord. Look how deep his love runs with all this because look at verse number nine. (laughs) Look at this. And be found in him. That's how deep it goes. That's how deep the love of Christ that Paul has for his Lord, that I be found in him. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, if we can remember what Paul said, and this just tells us of how, how much Paul, how much love Paul had for Christ. He says this, for me to live is what? Christ. See how connected they are? Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And he counters all of this, everything gaining with Christ, everything that he's, that he's had. He says, all of this has been lost, and I count it as what? Look at the word here, rubbish. What does that mean? I like to hear sometimes uh, the people that are from the UK, you know, they use the word, that's rubbish, right? <laughs> we don't go around saying that's rubbish today. You know, we don't use that word. We don't use that in our vocabulary here. But the word rubbish occurs here only in the New Testament. And the definition refers to excrement, food gone bad, scraps that have been left over after a meal, and refuse. It further can describe a half-eaten corpse and lumps of manure. So Paul says, everything that I have confidence in, that if, I, if anybody could say, I have confidence, I have more, all my list of everything, he says, it's nothing but rubbish. It's nothing but manure. And let me ask you something. Would any of us store up manure in our houses? Would we put it in a bank? Would we hold on to it and cling on to it and pursue after it? Would we trade for it on Wall Street? No, we wouldn't. Because it's rubbish. It has no value. But what are the things in life that we pursue after and cling to and hold to and pursue and pursue, and pursue, trying to gain, and gain, and gain, and gain. But it offers us nothing. It's rubbish, compared to the far surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And so everything in this life that we hold on to, and chase, and store up, and pursue, when placed besides Christ, is rubbish. There's no comparison to Christ. Now look at this last thing here. He found Christ as the gain in having the righteousness of him. Verse number nine. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, Paul had spent a majority of his life trying to establish his own righteousness. Remember verses five and six? I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, blameless. I've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. He says it's worth nothing. No matter how hard we try, and believe me, Paul was one that tried very, very hard. It was nothing. There was no righteousness there. And that's exactly what a system of works or a system of, of legalism does. You're on this never-ending hamster wheel trying to gain merit, trying to gain favor with God. And it's nothing of us. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 tells us, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so no matter how hard we try, we will always miss the mark. Why? Because sin is missing the mark. No matter how hard we try, 
We will always fall short of the glory of God because we can't do it. It's not in our own righteousness because we have none. All of our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. We have no righteousness of our own. We're helpless. And so the law exposes our depravity. It exposes our helplessness in which in turn shows us the unsurpassing worth of Christ. That Christ does it all. That Christ did it all. That it's only in Christ that we could have favor and merit with a good standing with God that we could have our sins forgiven because Christ is our righteousness. Notice the source of Christ's righteousness. Look what he says here. It comes from God through faith and in Christ. The righteousness comes from God through faith and in Christ. And that's how we are saved. We are given the righteousness of God through faith because of what Christ has done for us. And so when we repent, when we believe that message of salvation, we are granted the righteousness of God. We are given the righteousness of Christ. And it is all by grace through faith that we are saved. We are given the righteousness of Christ. It is totally a pure gift of God, leaving us nothing to boast about. We know of us can say, well, I'm in good standing with God because... No, we have nothing to boast about. And Paul says, I have found Christ to be far surpassing than anything that I could ever place my confidence in because he is the source of my salvation. He is the source of my joy. He is the source of my sanctification, my growth in Christ. And so we really need to understand this. Is Christ our gain in this life? And not just in this life, but the life to come. Is he your gain? Or are there other things that are more important to us? Hebrews chapter 12, verse number two tells us that this, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Has the great gain of knowing and being found in Christ eclipsed everything in your life? I hope so. And so there's joy in losing everything in Christ. And Paul discovered that and he knew that. And I pray that we as a church would desire that and know that too. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.